Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, today I'm excited because we actually have a guest with us. You've actually seen him before because a couple months ago, they made a quick appearance when they were basically, they essentially escaped from Ukraine, missionaries in Ukraine, Phil and Denise uh, Reed. Um, we love these guys. So at that time, we talked, he had a very brief moment with us, and I said, you know, I'd love for you to come and share the Word of God with us. So he's here for that. And would you guys welcome Phil Reed with us? Amen. Thanks, man. Thanks, Pastor Rich. We love you and Christy, and just a privilege to be here today and share the word. Uh, yeah, we're missionaries to Ukraine, and I uh, just want to tell you that God's doing some great things there, that people are being fed and rescued, and, and, and really, um, their physical needs have been ta- being taken care of, but that, makes, that opens them up to hear the gospel. And when you don't have any hope, when you're afraid and there's no hope, you want to find some, someone or something that can give you hope. And that means they're open to the, people are open to the gospel in those situations. So it's really exciting to talk to some of my friends and pastor friends in Ukraine to hear how people are responding to the gospel. Uh, it's exciting to see how the money that, that you, when we were here and we shared in that, and about, uh, for about seven minutes, uh, the end of March, about uh, what's going on in Ukraine, just briefly, that some part of that money went to Ukraine relief, and part of that money went to help feed those hungry people. Some of that money went to feed people who were leaving dangerous areas and on their way to the West, uh, Western Europe. And in doing so, they had stopovers in those places where we actually have pastors. They've been able to feed some of those people. And a couple of pastor friends of mine, they're like heroes, like way up here, because they actually go into dangerous places to bring food in, and they bring people out. And I don't know how many hundreds of people they've saved, but I, I know it's a lot. And I am just thank God for the opportunity to partner with them to be part of what God is doing. You know, we're looking at almost day 90 of the war now. And most people over there, I just they tell me, even if they're in a safe area, they just say, I'm sick of it. I want to just get on with my normal life, even though life in some areas is very normal, in other areas it's absolutely not normal and very dangerous. But there's always this idea of let's get on with life. But my wife, as she reads the book of Acts, she's reminded me many times that there's riots and there's revivals. There's riots and there's revivals. And not that this is a riot that's going on there, but it's, it's, a, it's a difficult situation. And God uses those difficult situations to turn people's hearts towards him. And that's what we're praying for, that God would, make, would move in a mighty way there so that when we do get to go back, that people will be ready to receive and to grow in Christ. I, for me, it's just, a, just the exciting thing to think about what God is going to do because he hasn't released us from the call to Ukraine. And so we're excited someday to go back. Right now we're here and we're doing what we can from here, and I got plenty to do from here, so I, it's, it's all good. Um, and... Today, we're going to talk about obedience. I don't know about you, but obedience is one of those topics that I tend not to like to hear about because my toes get stepped on. I get a slap in the backside, uh, whatever it is. And I'm just telling you, don't shoot the messenger. It's the Holy Spirit. So just you deal with him, okay? 
Um, I find it at times very difficult to obey God. There are times when I just want to say, God, no. And actually, I have. I'll be real honest with you. In 2007, when God first spoke to me about being a missionary, before I even told my wife, I told God, no, no way. And, of course, then I realized that God was not looking for me to be able. He wasn't looking at my ability. He wasn't looking at the things that my qualifications. He was looking at wanting me to be obedient and available. And that's what he's asking for all of us. He doesn't explain his reasons for what he asks of us. But he wants us to simply trust him. And today, I love doing what God created me to do, and that is to be a missionary. I love it. Uh, another thing that, uh, re- just a recent experience, about a month ago, uh, the couple weeks before that, when I was at Planet Fitness, where I go almost every day uh, to work out, I was there, and I saw this college, must, I assumed he was a college kid, and God pretty much told me I needed to go speak to him. But he didn't tell me what to say. He just said, you got to talk to him. So I waited for an, the right opportunity. You know, you know how that is, right? You've all done that. The opportunity when nobody else is around, when, when it's just perfect, that God lays everything out for you, right? Well, I'm sorry, that's not real life. It usually doesn't happen that way. So there was not a op- perfect opportunity to talk to this guy. There was always somebody else around and stuff. So uh, the last day I was going to be at the gym before we went and traveled for about a week and a half, I realized that it was now or never. And so that day, I really looked for an opportunity. Nothing happened. So I got, I left. I got in my car and I left. And then I, as I drove out of the parking lot, drove, started leaving the parking lot, I said, oh, this is so stupid. And I went and parked the car. I went back inside and talked to him. And because God didn't tell me what to say, I just simply said, hi, my name is Phil. I'm a follower of Jesus. And I think God wants me to talk to you. And I only had a minute conversation with him, maybe a little less. But I understood in that minute why I was supposed to talk to him. Because he did not believe in a deity. And he needed to know there was a God who knew he existed. Obedience is so important. There's five things that I wrote about obeying God. Oh, first of all, I want to say, we're doing an introduction, and we're going to talk about Saul, a bad example of of obedience, a good example of disobedience, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel 3, a a very good example of obedience, our story, and then you'll get a chance to respond, okay? Uh, Obeying God is rarely logical. And nearly always requires an extra level of trust in God. You found that to be true? Obeying God is often against the culture and nearly always requires us to remember that we serve an audience of one. And who is that one? God, right? That's the problem. We want everything to be perfect when we're going to go talk to somebody because God doesn't care about those other people around. Maybe he wants them to hear, which makes us nervous. Next, obeying God is rarely easy and nearly always requires us to what? Humble ourselves. Oh, boy, that's hard. 
Obeying God brings joy, so that joy is often mixed with sorrow. And the last one, obeying God means not always making the safe decision. But when we obey him, we are in the center of his will, which is the safest place to be. Do you believe that? So our first example is Saul in 1 Samuel 15. We begin with the account of Saul's disobedience there. And in verse 1, we read that prophet Samuel told King Saul, now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. I love this. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Pretty much everything but cats and dogs, right? God spelled it out in black and white. Why did he do that? Because he knows sometimes we can kind of twist what he tells us. So God described exactly what he wanted. He wanted everyone and everything killed, okay? And so Saul gathered his army to obey God, and he sort of obeyed God. In verses 8 and 9, it says he captured King Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared the king's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle and the fat calves, and kept the best, uh, oh, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Now, isn't that interesting? Sounds just like us, doesn't it? We'll just get, we'll sacrifice our junk to God, our leftovers. No. When Samuel found Saul, Saul lied and said, I carried out the Lord's command. Samuel confronted him and demanded to know, then why do I hear the animal sounds that I hear? Saul blamed others. And in verses 18 and 19, Samuel said to Saul, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy. Completely, right? That's all. A-L-L. The, Amal the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? Saul did not get it, and his pathetic response, in my opinion, is recorded in verses 20 and 21. He says, but I did obey the Lord. No, he didn't. He's lying. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back the king, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops, it wasn't him, it was the troops, of course, brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. Okay, whose God should it have been? My God, the Lord, my God, right? God wants to be, wanted to be Saul's God, not just the God of Samuel, just like he wants in our lives. Then we read Samuel's powerful response in verses 22 and 23. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is much better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. What a sad story. Saul and his descendants missed out on a blessing when, he lost, when Saul lost the kingdom. His disobedience was very costly and so unnecessary. Amen? What are some things we learn from Saul in this account? The first one is that partial obedience is really 
disobedience. Saul did not obey God when he destroyed all the Amalekites except because God wanted to complete him to completely destroy the Amalekites, not just part of them. Number two, delayed obedience is really disobedience. By not destroying the king and the best livestock along with everyone else, Saul disobeyed God. Number three, lying does not cover up our disobedience. Saul greeted Samuel by saying that he obeyed God and did everything that God had asked him to do. But that was a lie because he did not do that. Even when Samuel asked about the animal sound, Saul responded, I obeyed the Lord. Number four, casting blame does not cover up our disobedience. Saul blamed the troops for sparing the best of the animals and the king when he was the one that was responsible ultimately because God spoke to him and said, you go and destroy everyone, everything, all, A-L-L. And Saul did not do that. And because he did not, when Saul came and confronted him, he should have responded in repentance immediately. But he waited until it was too late, until his, he already had lost the kingdom. And then he said, oh, forgive me. It was kind of late. Next one, disobedience brings a curse and affects others. That curse always affects others. Saul's disobedience meant the kingdom of Israel would be given to another. And of course, that was King David, who was a man after God's heart. Disobedience is really an act of selfishness because it's all about me and what I want. And Saul and his descendants lost the kingdom because of Saul's disobedience. And the last one, we have to spell it out in black and white, or I should say yellow and black. Disobedience is sin. It's not, oops, my bad. It's not, oh, I made a mistake. It's sin. Okay? Adam and Eve, they sinned first when they ate from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Because it was about what they wanted. Because they did not obey God's commands, his word. That's why God gave us the Bible, so we know what, how to live. And anything less than the standard is sin. Thankfully, Jesus died on the cross to pay the way for our sin. We celebrated that in communion today so that we could have relationship with God once again. For us, it is so important not to be like Saul, fooling ourselves into believing that we obeyed God. How much better to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to actually obey God. We're going to look at their account in Daniel chapter 3. It's a story that most of us know. King Nebuchadnezzar had a huge statue built in his honor because he wanted to be worshipped and treated like God, like a God. Verse 2 tells us that he sent a message to all the leaders in Babylon, ordering them to come to the unveiling. Verse 3 says they all came, and at the unveiling... And verses 4 through 6, we read that the heralds shouted out that when you hear the music play, all these musical instruments are all going to play, and when you hear that music, you need to bow down and worship that big statue. And in case that isn't motivation enough for you that it's an order, then if you don't, we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego heard this command, 
They knew that it would be wrong for them to worship anything or anyone other than the Lord their God. They would not bow, even if that meant being thrown into the fiery furnace, which would be a little uncomfortable, by the way. When the music played, all the people bowed down except these three men. And some of the other wise men were looking around, and they ran to the king to tattle on them and say, oh, king, they didn't bow down, which made the king very angry. And he called for the three men. It's interesting because he did not throw them immediately into the fiery furnace, like it said. Because I believe the king knew that these men, along with Daniel, who is not mentioned in chapter 3, were the most loyal, trustworthy, and reliable among all the wise men who served him. Therefore, he decided to give them a second chance to bow down. But I love the response of these three men in verses 17 and 18. It says, If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. That's the God we serve. He's able to save us. Amen? He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he does not, so they're, they're saying, this is a statement of faith that he will, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to change our minds. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Of course, the king got really angry. He had the furnace heated seven times hotter. The soldiers died who threw him in. And pretty soon, those three Hebrew men were walking around in the fire with a fourth man, who many theologians believe that was Jesus. Unharmed in the fire. A miracle for everyone to see that truly there was a power greater than that of Nebuchadnezzar. What are some things we learn from this account? The first one is that complete obedience to God honors him. When, even when threatened with sure death, these three men did not compromise and continue to follow God and his commands. God took care of them for trusting him and following him completely, honoring him even when threatened with death. Number two, honesty about our obedience to God helps others learn of him. It's called Living a life of testimony, okay? And these three men told the king, with other people listening, why they would never worship the statue. They demonstrated a faith in God that these people, these Babylonian people, had never seen before. None of them, the king included, could trust another person or another God to the level that these three men trusted their God. That's our God, folks. And when God delivered them, it was a clear testimony that there truly was a power greater than that of King Nebuchadnezzar. The next one is obedience before God is most important. Why? Because even if we're standing before people, ultimately we're standing before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, just like these three men knew the day they were before King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a very evil king. The next one. Obedience is my responsibility. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's mine. Unlike Saul, who did not take responsibility for his actions, these men took responsibility for their own actions. They did not have to look to somebody else like Daniel to say, oh, what are we going to do? Because it's our responsibility for what we, we choose to do. God lays before us a choice, always, obedience and disobedience, a blessing and a curse. 
life and death. Last one, obedience brings a blessing and affects others. These men obeyed God, which was really an act of selflessness, even though they could have died. Why? Because they understood that God blesses us and others when we obey. Your family is blessed when you choose to obey God. I worked in a workplace where I wanted it to be blessed because I worked there. That was my goal. Our story. In January, the Russians were building up troops around Ukraine, and the U.S. Embassy was suggesting that we as Americans would leave. Suggestion, right? But I heard from God we were not leaving soon, whatever that was, and we had, Denise and I had peace about staying. And then, towards the end of January, they changed their tune. The embassy started saying, we recommend that you as Americans start leaving the country as soon as possible. And it's really awkward when the embassy uh, recommends that and you stay. Okay, because people are knowing that the embassy is recommending that. And what are you staying for? Well, when God says you stay, you stay. And out of the seven families that were in Ukraine from with the, within the Assemblies of God World Missions, five of them left. They all have kids, so I get why they left. But Denise and I looked at each other like, did we miss a memo or something? Were we supposed to leave? But we had peace, so we stayed. Every time something changed, in the equation, we'd hear a piece of news, we'd have a moment of, oh, and then we'd talk about it and we'd stay because we had peace. On Saturday, February 12th, just 12 days before the war started, the two of us started talking about our situation. We thought perhaps we were being selfish and we should think about our daughters, about Denise's uh, elderly parents, about our family who... All of them were all kind of in a panic about us still being in Ukraine, by the way. Um, I would actually have my stepmom would write to me about every three days and say, did you hear anything from God yet? <laughs> no, not yet. We're supposed to stay. And so we started to pack. I want to tell you that was the most miserable day of our lives because we weren't supposed to pack. And I thought when we lost our peace that it was just because it was emotional because it was really hard to leave. It was hard to think about leaving, even though Denise really wanted to leave and get out before things, anything would happen. And that afternoon, she cried and said, this just feels wrong, which it did, because it was. Um, and uh, it's interesting, because even though we were trying to pack, I was looking at plane tickets to fly back to America the following Tuesday. And prices were about $750 a ticket, which is all right for one way. And then after supper, the ticket price went up to $1,250. So it jumped $500 because one airline decided to stop flying in and out of Kiev. So you have increased demand, increased price, and you know how that goes. And I was chatting online while I was trying to pack with a high school classmate who's like a sister to me. And I expressed my desire to her for a clear answer from God. And she said to me, is no answer not an answer? And I thought... Duh, of course it is. If you don't have any new orders from your commander, if you're in the military, your last standing orders is what you keep doing, right? So here I am in the army of the Lord. I should just keep on doing what I've been doing. So that's what we did. We unpacked the next day, 
And in the morning we got up, we both had peace again because God blesses us with peace when we are in obedience to him. And of course, I confessed my sin of disobedience to God and we stayed. After that experience, I wrote in our private Facebook group that we do not know how long we're staying, but it will be for a while yet. And I know what my family, our families were thinking, that what are you guys doing? I also wrote, we do not understand why God wants us here, but we're willing to stay. We are not trying to be heroes, but are simply trying to be obedient because we cannot fight against God. Don't try it, folks. It doesn't work. On Tuesday, February 22nd, just two days before the war, we drove from our city, Krivoy Rogue, to Kiev, six hours, almost six hours away, and back again because we had some very important business to take care of. We transferred the title of ownership of our car, Speed the Light car, from the seminary in Kiev to my name, which allowed us to drive out of the country in our car. Up till that moment, we had no way to get out once the war started. No way. My wife, when she heard about that in January, which I knew about it since November, I didn't want to tell her and make her scared. She said, what? We got to do something. I said, I already tried. We can't do anything just yet because the right person to do this stuff was in America, so we had to wait. And God, in his wisdom, told us to stay. And a day and a half before the war started, we left Kiev. 36 hours, almost exactly. We left Kiev with new license plate and a title with my name on it, saying that we could leave the country. God is never late. He's hardly ever early, but he's always right on time. And as one author wrote, God's never late, but he sure scared me to death a few times. That's, that's about how I was getting at that point. I'm like, okay, whatever, God, you know. Um, we really don't know why God had us wait. That was probably one of many reasons. In the early morning hours of Thursday, February 24th, at 5.30 in the morning, my regional director called and hung up so I would see his email that said, given the current situation in Ukraine, don't you think it's time to think about leaving? And of course, we thought it probably was a good idea. And later that, that morning, they told us that we definitely needed to leave whenever we could do so safely. Denise wanted to leave that day, and I said, no. We're going to create a plan, because I'm a planner. We're going to do the plan, and we're going to implement the plan, and everything's going to go okay. And you know what? It worked, and she was okay with that. Um, we left early in the morning on 5.30 on Saturday morning. We were able to take care of some important business before we left. We had enough gas to get out of the country. Even, you know, would I have rather flown out of the country? Absolutely. Did I really want to sit at the border for 60 hours, two and a half days, waiting our turn to get out of the country? No, I really didn't want that. But there's a reason that God had us do that. Now our car is safe in Romania. We don't have to worry about it being bombed in Ukraine. We don't have to worry about somebody else taking it and destroying it, which I thank God for that. Obedience brings blessing, even when the process of obedience is not always easy. One final scripture before I close. Luke 17, 7 to 10. Oh, Luke's, yeah, it's Luke 17. Sorry, I didn't fix the slide. When a servant comes in from plowing 
or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say we are simply unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Sometimes when we obey God, we think we should be commended for doing something fantastic and great. But we've really only done the bare minimum. That's how Denise and I feel about me missionaries in Ukraine. We are simply unworthy servants who have done our duty, doing what God has called us to do. And it's not always easy to be obedient, but it's so rewarding. We agree with Paul when he wrote in 1 Timothy 1.12, we thank God that he considered us trustworthy and appointed us to serve him. Even in all the difficulties of leaving our home and the pain of that and all the struggles we had when we got back to America, God has been good. God has been faithful. His plans for us are good. Don't feel sorry for us. Life's good. I'm healthy. I don't have cancer like I did a year and a half ago. Praise God. He gives us his peace when we're obedient. The whole time when we packed, when we left, we both had peace because obedience brings peace. You get a chance to respond to God now. Sometimes we only think about the big things when we talk about obedience. Well, I'm going to do this for God. Well, how about we start with the little things and focus on those things first? Then it becomes a lot easier to obey God in the bigger things. So first of all, maybe you're here and you have no relationship with God. Maybe you're online listening. Maybe you're in Cedar Rapids or Wilton and you don't know God. Find somebody and talk to them about that. Here in the church, we're going to have people on the sides you can pray with after we're done singing. Um, you can talk to Pastor Rich or myself. Today's your day to start a relationship with God. Maybe you, as a Christian, are living in disobedience to God. You need to talk to God about that. Pray with somebody about that. Today's the day to make that right and confess that sin. And maybe God is asking you, to do something uncomfortable or difficult. Just do it, and you'll have no regrets. But again, somebody can pray with you to be able to say, here, we're going we're gonna to come alongside of you to pray with you that God will give you the strength you need. So if you fit any of those three categories, I encourage you not to wait, to find a way, find a time, to get away and talk to God and say, boy, God, I really want to serve you completely. I don't want to be Saul. I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your faithfulness, for your love, God. I thank you that you give us the opportunity to choose, that we're not just robots, but we get to serve you because we want to serve you, not because we have to serve you. I thank you for Jesus who died on the cross, making the way for us to be able to have relationship with you. God, help us to live in obedience to you. And when we do disobey God, help us to respond when the Holy Spirit says, uh, that wasn't right. And to say, oh God, forgive me because I want to live in obedience to you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Help us to pray to the end of our days, God. Amen. Amen.